Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? My name is Lola Iniola Defesa, and I'm a university uh, diversity and social transformation professor of chemical engineering at U of M. I also serve as the vice chair for graduate studies in chemical engineering, as well as a member, elected member of the College of Engineering Executive Committee. Can you tell me a little bit about the focus of your research? My research is focused on the design and optimization of vascular targeted delivery vehicle uh, for drug targeting in lung and cardiovascular disease. Our lab's emphasis is in understanding and leveraging the immune cellular interactions uh, in the blood in hopes of using that to enhance the functionalities of these novel therapies. That's really interesting. What led you to work in this area? Ever since I was a little uh, kid, I had been fascinated uh, with how the human body is able to function for close to a hundred years. Um, and our immunity in particular had captured my attention at that young age. So then of course, uh, when I had the opportunity in graduate school to leverage my chemical engineering training in fluid flow and forces towards understanding cellular dynamics in blood, I, I could not uh, resist. And, and that sort of has uh, led me uh, into this sort of research space where we're trying to understand how nanotechnology and microtechnology that we design in the lab interacts and interface with cells in blood. Uh, again, how do we leverage that for disease treatment? You recently co-authored a paper that was published in the journal Cell, explaining that white researchers are nearly twice as likely to be awarded a research funding grant than black scientists of similar academic achievement. Can you explain the process of researching this and writing that paper about those outcomes? I think it's worth uh, highlighting that part of the research for this is my own lived experience experiences uh, going through my academic journey here at the U of M. Uh, of course, the other part of this is the work that NIH itself uh, did in collecting their own data and presenting it to the field. In particular, in 2011, um, NIH uh, data was published uh, in the journal Science, which nicely outlined this uh, disparity, um, as you high, uh, alluded to, that white biomedical researchers were getting funded uh, twice as much as uh, Blacks, despite equal level of achievement um, and uh, equal level of accolade. I followed the story when it came out, certainly because it resonated with me personally. It's my lived experience, as I uh, mentioned uh, to you. And, and I remember the frustration growing back then when the paper came out, there was no <laughs> uproar from academic institution. There were no, there was nothing. It just kind of came out and people sort of shrugged. Uh, and then there was a follow-up that came in the last couple of years where uh, they dug more into the data and 
there was this narrative that emerged about, well, maybe it's because Black scientists only want to do research in health disparity, which of course is not an area that NIH and NIH review panels find exciting. That was of course a frustration for me because I know plenty of uh, black scholars, biomedical scholars who do other types of work, uh, research. It's not to say that the scholars that work in health disparity are not doing great work, they are, but to sort of pigeonhole this narrative to that was frustrating for me personally. But it was really in the summer, especially after the murder of George Floyd, that everything really came to a hit, right? Where we have this sort of anger and frustration with conversation around inequities faced by Black in our healthcare system and the inequities of wealth um, that they experience in our nation. Um, and that sort of brought me in conversation with a group of biomedical engineering faculty. Uh, we have a national uh, sort of more of a social group that we're part of and collectively we are uh, talking through the pain of the summer and it didn't take us long to recognize that this inequities that exist on the streets are actually linked to our roles as faculty members in biomedical engineering and so we decided to form a working group to try and dig through those connections and it didn't take long for this idea and issue of NIH funding disparity to rise up to the top. And so we decided to write something about it. Can you tell me what can be done to eliminate these disparities? There are a lot of what we see as straightforward things that NIH could do uh, to immediately um, address and, and correct this disparity, we highlight in the numbers that we did based on, on the numbers that NIH published that it would only take each of the NIH Institute to, if they funded two additional arrow one application from Black PIs, that this disparity would go away. And it's really important that people who are not in the field understand how NIH funding process work. You go through peer review and, and grants are scored and they're discussed and they're scored. And there's a bunch of grants that make the funding line and there's a bunch of grants that are just outside of the funding line. NIH institutes have the ability and they do this quite often to fund grants outside the pay line. They do, they, they do it by priority, right? And the data from a follow-up study shows that 100% of the grants that they fund outside that uh, priority line are to white scientists, right? So let me give you an example. If an institution's pay line is 18%, every grant that is lower than the 18% boundary automatically is in line for funding. Grants between 18 and 35%, for example, is in line for this select pay, right? And the question is, how does NIH determine which grant in that bundle they pick for select pay? So one of the things we asked for uh, in this paper is some sort of openness from the NIH to give us more information there. And why are Black PIs who also end up in that group 
are not picked up for funding in that select pay, right? So that's sort of why we say just fund them. And, and for people who are outside uh, the NIH field, they may not understand that process. So that's why it's important to, to sort of um, describe that. We also asked NIH to go through a, a revamping of their review process, right? Because there indeed was a follow-up paper that came out early last year, which showed that the biggest bottleneck is at this review stage, right? What is happening to these grants at the review panel? And so we asked NIH to empower the scientific review officers to present these grants for discussion, right? Because again, the NIH process, if your grant is not discussed, you automatically are not eligible for funding, right? So that's another thing that has to be uh, looked at. But I think importantly, the one that for me means the most is this idea of having diversity of the investigator team be a score driving criterion for NIH review. Why is this important? I think as academic institutions, as scholars, we now understand through great work that has been done across the country, but more importantly by our colleague here at U of M, Scott Page, which has demonstrated over and over again that diversity drive innovation we get innovative solutions when our team are diverse. And I think across uh, researchers that uh, compete for NIH grant, this is well understood. We, we often repeat this, but yet we don't use this um, in funding decision. If we think diverse team makes the best um, research idea to drive to a solution, or if we think uh, diverse team come up with the best innovation, medical innovation is not exempt from that. Why wouldn't we use that as part of the decision for grants that we fund, right? And we call this out in this paper saying, we need to look at the diversity of the team, race, racial diversity, uh, uh, gender diversity, disabilities, all kinds, because again, it's when people come in with their own lived experiences into uh, a, a problem set, that's really when you're gonna optimize to the best solution. So I think that piece, if there was one uh, recommendation that I would nominate for NIH to uh, take on right away, that would be it because I think it would have impact across uh, the board. We would be doing better science anyways, and we would then be making better use of the taxpayer dollars that NIH used to fund our grants. And then of course, we would be ensuring that diverse faculty members, Blacks, uh, Hispanic, Latinx, Native American, Indigenous Americans are being included in scientific teams and given the opportunity to demonstrate uh, what they bring to the table. As an expert, can you explain the dangers of these stark funding disparities? I think this, this one piece, which is, oh, fund uh, Black scientists so that they can do research, that part of that sounds a bit self-serving, right? But the bigger issue is what we came to the conclusion or realization during the summer uh, is that the implication goes beyond that 
funding to that one Zionist, right? We need to be able to leverage the full diversity of our population. And right now we are leaving our black uh, population, our brown population, our indigenous population out of science and engineering, which of course means that in terms of global competition, we're not maximizing our, our ability because if 30% of your population are not involved in science, technology, engineering, then you're not having enough workforce to, to compete globally, right? So that's one piece. We need to think about the biomedical workforce because again, we're creating medical technology that we use to treat patients. When we don't have diverse biomedical researchers, we are not looking at diverse problems, okay? I think the best example that you would see of this is this disparity between sickle cell disease funding versus COPD, cystic fibrosis uh, funding, right? Diverse biomedical researchers bring to the table diverse problems that they want to study. Uh, and that allows us to cover all of the ailments and issues that uh, affect all Americans. Sickle cell disease, of course, disproportionately affects Blacks. Uh, and by not having uh, individuals whose life experiences inform them of this important problem, you're sort of disadvantaging the, the uh, medical innovation for that uh, disease and, and the people that suffer from that. The other piece uh, here is, again, our talent pool, right? We say that diversity strengthens the STEM uh, talent pool. And if we have diverse people in, we make better technology. And for our companies, that affects their bottom line. If you make technology where 30% of the population does not resonate with them, they're not uh, going to sign on to it, then that's money that our companies are leaving on the table. And there are examples of this throughout, either consumer product, as well as uh, medical uh, product. But it goes back again to the wealth disparity. STEM jobs are the biggest paying jobs that we have uh, across the board. If we are not diversifying our faculty pool, there is direct data that shows that we struggle with training and graduating diverse student population because people tend to go into career fields where they see people that look like them succeeding in, right? And if we don't train and diverse people in STEM, then we're not giving them access to high paying jobs. And when people don't have high paying jobs, then they don't have great insurance. They don't have the wealth. They don't have the flexibility. Uh, even this little piece that we don't think about, which is paid vacation, uh, paid sick leave, those all contribute to the health disparity that we spent the last seven months talking about with COVID, right? You don't have preventative care when you don't have great insurance. When you don't have paid sick leave, you can't go for your annual physical. Those things build up. 
right? And then you get hit by a pandemic, you could start to see the people who suffer more from it versus the people that are okay. So that this need to get people, diverse people into high paying jobs, getting them uh, to move up in the uh, uh, wealth ladder is also important for the collective health of our nation. I'm curious if these inequities contribute in your opinion, to the distrust of medicine in the Black community? Absolutely. Uh, I think Tuskegee comes to mind um, in terms of how, you know, it's important to highlight that this distrust that the Black community have in in our uh, medical enterprise is not coming out of nowhere. Um, So then we've worked hard over you know, multiple decades to sort of pull back or unwind that distress. But we have not made the progress that we could have made because of this uh, lack of diverse Black uh, scientists at the forefront of medical research, medical technology, medical innovation. So that if a group of people are already primed to be suspicious of our medical enterprise. And then they continue to not see people that look like them at the forefront of technology. You can see how conspiracy theories will take hold in that scenario. So like the perfect example is this COVID-19 vaccination. There is a gap between vaccinating blacks versus vaccinating white. And part of that is still this distrust in the medical enterprise, right? We are fortunate that we had a black scientist at the NIH uh, that was at the forefront of uh, working on the Moderna vaccine. And the fact that people have tried to leverage that in, in trying to convince the Black population that this is a vaccine that you can trust because one of you uh, was on the on the team. But that was in some ways fortunate. It could have not easily been that case um, uh, to have that be the scenario. So we need more Black scientists at the forefront of medical research if we're going to really get the Black population to the point where they feel like they can have a fair shake in medical treatment. Who needs to learn about this to affect change? All of us. Uh, And by all of us, I mean every single individual that is part of the American system, every individual uh, that lives in in the United States have to uh, learn about this um, and we all have a role to to play. But of course, within the academy, we need faculty to understand that this is a problem and that we are part of the solution. Faculty members by and large make up the NIH review pool. And so we need to to be cognizant of our uh, biases that we take into those review uh, panels and and ensure that we are um, focusing on the science that's proposed on paper and not be sidetracked by 
the accolades that may in that moment have very little to do with the science that is written on paper. The universities and university leaders have to also understand that they have a role here. There is a big push across many of our institutions to hire more diverse faculty. In doing so, they need to understand the disparity that this faculty will face once hired with funding, and they need to enact policies that would help those diverse faculty with their funding to make sure that they're not bringing them in in this hyper-stressed environment that then contributes to their um, sort of falling out of the pipeline. I say all of us because we are all American, we are all taxpayers, and we ha all have <laughs> an interest in making sure that the tax dollars that go to NIH to fund research is equitably distributed. So we need people on ground contacting their Congress uh, members to highlight uh, this as problematic. Why, why all of us? Well, COVID, for better or worse, is affecting all of us, right? I am sitting in my home, not able to go to work, not able to interact socially in the way that um, we had been used to. Why? Uh, in, in part because of this healthcare disparity. Our frontline workers, who tend to be Black and Brown Americans, have been hit the most with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And their lives and ours are inherently linked. We cannot function without them and, and COVID has made us recognize that. So we cannot compartmentalize America. <laughs> we need to make sure there's equitable access so that everybody is living the best life that they can, right? And so this is sort of where all of us need to be enraged by this problem. All of us need to be part of the solution for this problem. You mentioned the importance of diversity in STEM programs earlier. And February is, of course, Black History Month. And February 11th is the International Day of Women and Girls in Science. With these important recognitions in mind, what do you think can be done to encourage more diversity in STEM programs? I think the easiest thing we can do is providing the visual. What do I mean by that? I was fortunate as an undergraduate student uh, in engineering to have a faculty member who was a black female. She was a faculty, uh, Dr. Janice Lumpkin was a faculty member in chemical engineering at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. So then when it came to the idea of doing research, it was not a strange thing to me because I had seen somebody that looked just like me doing research. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, I'm hearing about this research thing. Can you help me out? I think part of my ability as a 19-year-old to be able to make that cold email was because there was some connection that I felt to her in that she is me. Okay, um, and my journey to this moment is linked to that one singular lucky um, occurrence. 
the easiest way to expand the diversity in the STEM pipeline is to give the students diverse role models for them to see if they are in their classroom and they see faculty that looks like them, they are more likely to know that they belong and they can do it so that when they do encounter uh, challenges in the curriculum, they're, they're not internalizing it as I, I don't belong, I can't do it. They're going to view it more as, okay, this is tough and I just have to work, work harder. I think that's the subtleness that people uh, don't get. We could spend a lot of time doing outreach and, and we can send out flyers and, and uh, do a whole bunch of outreach to try and convince black and brown individuals that science and engineering is a thing for them. But if they're not seeing the visual, uh, some of them will come and, and, and many of those will not make it through to the other, to other side. Uh, and so that's sort of why we focused this piece on funding uh, faculty members, Black faculty members, uh, because you need them to not be spending so much of their time writing grants because they are important to this desire for us to have a diverse uh, classroom of students, giving them equal access to the science and engineering degrees. As my last question for you, I want to know if you have any advice for individuals who are starting out on their own journeys into a STEM-related field. I would say for individuals who are starting, look for ways to find allies to help you through the journey. Recognizing that for our Black um, faculty, for our Latinx faculty for our Native American indigenous faculty, the numbers are just still low. And some of your allies are not going to look like you, but they are there. Um, and I think we demonstrated that with this uh, article in Cell where we are all BME faculty members, we are white, we are black, we are brown, uh, and we are international. We came together because we deeply believe that this is an important problem that has to be uh, corrected. And so in some ways I have benefited not, not not because I got a group of women to, to sign on to this cause and, and we put out this piece, but also being able to identify now what I see as a group of allies that I can sort of continue this academic journey with, recognizing that they understand the pain, they understand the uh, disparity. So if, if I had to go back and tell my young self, I would say, look for allies and maybe look for them in places that you might not expect them to be because having access to people who uh, sort of understand the journey and being able to help shepherd you uh, through it can be, um, that can be a life and death kind of experience, if, if that uh, makes sense there. Uh, those allies are going to be advocate uh, for you. They will help you in terms of getting access to mentors, uh, access to uh, make connection with uh, program directors, for example. Uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we could make early on is isolation, thinking that you're the only one having this experience and not 
being able to talk through it with others, um, that piece of isolation can make what is already a terrible problem even worse. Is there anything else that you want to add that we didn't cover? I think it, it's really, again, important that this problem of funding disparity that NIH admitted and highlighted over a decade ago and have not really done much to fix is a problem for all of us. And I hope that people see the multifaceted ways that this becomes problematic in the diversity of our classroom, in the diversity of the faculty that we offer um, our student, in the diversity of the workforce that we have in the uh, US, in the diversity of thoughts that go into our medical innovation to make sure it works for all Americans. Um, so I hope that people listening to this will be energized and engaged that this is a problem, not just for black scientists, this is a problem for all of us. If you deeply believe in what we're doing with a biomedical research enterprise, then we all should be screaming and crying to get um, equitable funding uh, to black scientists. I also do wanna highlight that our piece focused only on Black scientists because that is the data that we have. It is very likely that there are some of this disparity that impacts Native American and Indigenous scientists. They do exist, that number is very low, right? As well as our Hispanic and Latinx faculty members. So, I don't want it to seem like, oh, we only focus on black scientists because that's all we care about. We are a data-driven group of people. And sometimes a message is better heard when you're disciplined enough to not extrapolate the data. We did not want to extrapolate the data. But diversity in all ways is important. We need everyone uh, to be part of our biomedical research enterprise. And there is still that uh, disparity in faculty of color. We need to improve that across the board. We need more black faculty. We need more Hispanic uh, faculty. We need more Latinx faculty. We need more uh, indigenous faculty because again, these people bring with them their lived experiences that inform the types of biomedical research problem um, that they want to work on. And met most of those times, they are driven um, to uh, work on problems that disproportionately affect their people. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Michigan Minds. I look forward to the next time we speak. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.